What are those called again? It's something weird. It's something that doesn't sound like map maker. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like Tartarian or something weird. Mm. Nope. It's cartographer. We just Googled it and we're all, yeah. we're pissed because we knew. We knew. What did you want to say? Graphologist? That's what it felt I, like you were about to honestly, say. Honestly, I wanted to say like graphitarian, which is way graphitarian. worse. Graphitarian. Yep. They only eat graphs. <laughs> is that what Ian means? Hmm? Is that what I-A-N means? Like if you're a... I believe so. No, because why would they call them herbivores? Carnivores. Just because it's vegetarian doesn't mean it's all encompassing, Cassie. <laughs> By the end of this episode, I will think of another word that ends with air. Targaryen. I'm just kidding. What? That's. Oh, All God, right. I forgot. Game of Thrones. Okay, we are so tangy. Oh, yeah. We haven't even drank right. that much. No. Oh, well. So we've been recording and it hasn't crashed yet. So we should be fine. It's a good sign. So I honestly was kind of like, not kind of, but I was pretty unprepared. Of how much it was going to That, well, like I found so much information, but I was like, how do I condense this? How do I make like a a story, like a consecutive thing of events? Because I'm so used to... Here's the people, here's the killer, here's what happened, here's the trial or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, or not. And this, I didn't know how to handle uh, just a topic, I guess. Yeah. And so I was like, do I have like certain bullet points and then like example? Like I was getting way too like analytical with it. But anyway, it's it was it's definitely it was weird. weird I'm so excited to hear yours because I, I am yours too. talking to Jay today. I was like, I'm so excited to hear like the different like because based on the photo i was telling him about the photos that you had sent me Mm -hmm. and i was like was this like a gas chamber was this like a weird like lethal injection room don't spoil it for me (laughs) but i was like i am so excited to hear all of this stuff from like the origin and like history and all that stuff whether it pertains to anything like i'm excited so i hope i do it justice because you i mean you sit in a classroom and learn this stuff in a way that i don't sit in a classroom i just sit at home but still oh well that's true but i got my fucking shit over there you have instructors with a format to make it really interesting interesting. you know so you have a little bit better i'm just kind of like oh don't sound exactly like the wikipedia page right yeah i know (laughs) we put our sources in there and it's like (laughs) oh it's a direct source (laughs) cool yeah copy paste (laughs) uh okay we can start yeah Oh, yeah. It's I'm first. Okay. Mm. Uh, every week. Every every episode. <laughs> every time. Yeah, all so, this month. Welcome to Texas 1031. Um, I always do that one. Yeah. It, it really annoys me. Well, don't be annoying. I know. It's <laughs> difficult. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> um, but we're your host, Cassie and Hannah. And 1031 is a police code for crime in progress. As you can probably guess, we discuss crimes and mainly murders that occur in Texas. 
And if you guys want to visit our website, which is texas1031podcast.com, as you probably know, you'll find all of the links to our social media, as well as links to listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. I did check out the Podbean thing, and it costs money. So nope. We can't Unless afford that. Unless you want to do, donate or be a donor or whatever. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, remember, the name of our website and social media accounts have no dashes, no spaces, no capitalizations or numbers, just all spelled out. And if you are on iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe as always. So this week is episode 15, yeah. which is cool. Um, I don't know why I put that in there, but I, I was like, it's, it's I exciting. like to number it, I guess, mm-hmm. because we don't like, I or whatever we, you know some people do like episode 12 episode 13 but some people do like the funky titles yeah you know and i'm like well i don't know what the fuck you're talking about unless i click on it mm-hmm. so we just do the names so i guess i wanted to reiterate episode 15 no i like it and we talked about last week how like you know the number is like yeah we try to find correlate strange is- ocd things I like stuff. 15. It's a nice, it's good not, number. It's not an even number, but nope. it's an even number. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Because you can separate it into threes yeah. or into fives or into... Divisible things. Yep. Like it's you divisible. said last time. Yeah. We nah. like divisibility. Yes. <laughs> um, so this week we have a little bit of a different episode for y'all. Um, we're taking a small break from our normal murder cases and actually discussing two general criminal justice topics um so i'm going to be discussing the death penalty and hannah will be discussing exonerations and we're really excited to get this up uh to get into this episode i even messed up my own thing that i typed (laughs) out wow we are really excited to get into this episode with you guys and we hope you guys enjoy it learn something from it something you didn't know um because i know that i definitely did when i researched all this stuff so we hope you take away uh, some information you can pass along or whatever. Yeah. I, Change your perspective on things. I think it's really important because I listen to podcasts and I research for our own. And sometimes like I have a bunch of different tabs open. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this? And it's like, it's nice to kind of, I don't know, just ref- we, we didn't learn about this stuff in school, really. Like no. you don't learn about the justice system very well. I mean, we have government, but like, yeah, that's just like history, basically more right. focused on government and Paul in like the political aspect. Of yeah, it, I guess yeah. not criminal justice, especially in a state like ours where the criminal it's, it's I'm rough. sure we're both going to get into it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I hope I hope we make this interesting. Like, I, I hope you guys are excited. about Definitely. This. Yeah, I mean. I feel like I'll apologize. I am very busy now. When I first start, or I, yeah, I guess when I first started the yeah. podcast, technically, uh, I wasn't working. I wasn't in school. And now I'm both <laughs> and in charge of a giant dog. So uh, it's a lot of work. So I would have promoted this a little bit more, but I also kind of wanted to keep it a secret, sort yeah. of, to kind of like give some anticipation, I guess. I don't know. I like that. Okay. So news segment first things first Mm -hmm. i had a bit of a podcast meltdown last week and i decided to make a new logo i oh i forgot i love it okay i love it it is going with our like website theme of cacti and now this i'd loved our mobile home but i think this fits us a little bit better more on the feminine side but yet texasy things like that um also within the meltdown I don't know. I I wanted the first, and we've had so many new listeners, so I wanted their first initial impression to be a good one. 
You know what I'm saying? So I didn't want them to like go through my first step, like going from just me by myself, then to us with like shitty audio and editing and then to like us now, which Mm -hmm. is fine. Um, I didn't want there to be this like such inconsistency because I feel like we maybe lost people or got some bad reviews, blah, 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 blah. So I went on this like, again, meltdown and decided to remove the first seven episodes from our RSS feed. And they're still there technically, Mm -hmm. but just not available on iTunes um, onto our website. Cool. So if people wanted to listen to them, they're there. But It's like bonus content. Yes. And it's free. You can download them. But basically what happened was... I started listening to the podcast, and that's why we drank a few months ago, okay? I kind of started randomly, like, the 30th episode or so, and they recently had their, like, one-year anniversary, and I've finally been able to backtrack enough to the beginning of their show, and it was great because I was on, like, episode five or six, and they had such shitty audio and such shitty editing, and I was like, screw this. Like, Mm -hmm. so my point is, is that... These girls have a year's worth of podcasting experience. They have over like a million downloads. Like they're a pretty big deal. And they even started out sucky. So it's okay. Yep. I'm going to keep the first seven seven episodes on the website, but I've put them back on our RSS feed. So everything's still normal. It's just the logo has changed. Cool. Okay. So first of all, I get so excited when anyone posts on our Facebook when there's any activity. It's so cool. Yeah. So um, this lovely listener named Megan, she said, the fact that y'all love Vanderpump Rules just made my life. She actually said made me life, which makes me, which makes me read it in like an Irish accent, like made me life. Oh my God. (laughs) Which is not an Irish accent. It just made me realize that like how dumb people are. Not she. Oh my God. No, no, no. She's not dumb. That's. I meant like because I didn't notice that it shows how your brain just reads oh, through things yeah. and you don't even pick it up. Yep. And it's that's what I meant, Megan. Yeah. Or maybe hey, Megan's kind of Irish, right? But so she could be. Maybe you're a dumb Irish girl. We started being offensive. That's what yeah. we started doing. What's new? <laughs> uh, so the fact that y'all of Vanderpump Rules just made my life, and I texted Hannah, Yay. and we both had a general consensus that it's like it was super exciting because we're cool. like super fucking losers so it was really really thrilling it makes me feel like i don't know some of you out there maybe you listening right now you're like oh you're our friends yeah like we're we're all friends you can you relate or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah something like that um recommendations slash things to say so I'll go first just because I have something to say. I've got nothing. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> I'll recommend this wine maybe. <laughs> so Karen covered Krista Worthington's murder on MFM last episode. Crazy. So I don't want to be that person that was like, I knew about it before you did. But I'm going to pull that shit because literally, <laughs> literally, there was a podcast called A Killing on the Cape. Huh. And it was an ABC News podcast. And it was like a multiple episode series that came out like summertime, early fall. And I listened to all the episodes. So I was like, girl. Get with it. Right. Get like, with the time. You don't even, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> so it's very interesting. It's very well explained. If you want more on my favorite murders version of Christopher Worthington's murder, a killing on the cape, murder on the cape, however you want to put it. It's really good. I recommend it. I found it very informative. 
it's kind of like, hmm, I don't know if it really happened. So I thought of a recommendation and whatever, we're copycats. I started no. listening to this because of Georgia from My Favorite Murder, which if you don't listen to it, listen to it. It's an amazing podcast, whatever. You all listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, she recommended this podcast will kill you. And it's all about infectious diseases, epidemics, pandemics, stuff like that. And the first episode, and these girls are, they're, they're like us. They're like Karen and Georgia. They're just like girls having a conversation with smart. each other. <laughs> oh my God, they're so smart. They're both experts on this, like by profession, whatever. Jealous. Yeah. I've listened to two episodes so far, one on influenza and one on leprosy. Very interesting. And they nice. do leprosy? really good. Oh yeah. It's the biblical shit that they talk about that <laughs> the actual uh the stuff that was mentioned in the bible as lepers not, not. leprosy nope <gasps> yeah. and they may not have known that back then you know what i mean like exactly. after testing it's not like they were just making some shit up they just probably right. had no idea because it was bc it was yeah it was or whatever <laughs> no shoes in tunic time Again, I feel like all my recommendations are like, if you want a break from the terrible stuff we talk about here, here you go. And On to I, more terrible stuff. I thought of another basically. thing about the Facebook. Two things. We'll go back to Megan for a second. My mom's here. Um, I commented. I, I don't want you to think we were ignoring you because I commented no. with my personal account, not the Texas 1031 account. So whoopsie. So I just oh, went yeah. and commented now. I don't have any access to Facebook. Yeah. I just have access to Instagram. So So yeah, it's if there's a Cassie commenting on your post or liking your post, guys, that's me. Don't find me and murder me. Also, um, I forgot we have ninety nine likes on Facebook. Cool. Go like it. Get us to a hundred. Ninety nine makes me feel very uncomfortable because it's like you're not good enough to crack Again, that yeah. with our numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go like it. If it gets over 100, that's okay, but I don't like being on the precipice of another number group. See, I always thought that too. In my head, I know this is completely unrealistic, but I always thought getting like an 89 on a test was just as bad as failing. Bump it up or take it down to 85. It's not cool. So it's kind of like role reversal week in my mind Mm -hmm. because Cassie's covering the death penalty. Which is mainly, I think, a part of the prosecutor's job, if you want to kind of narrow it down-ish. Yeah. And I'm covering exonerations, which is mainly kind of part of the defense's team's job. I didn't think of that. Good point. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because usually in our episodes, I'm the one that's all for prosecutors. Not that you're the one that's all for defense attorneys, but you're very like, I want to hear both sides because you're a nice person. (laughs) And she's understanding slash also super liberal. So I don't know how it works out, but it Devil's does. Advocate. Yeah. Advocate. Oh, my goodness. Oh, nice. Hello. Do we want to just go ahead and start? Yeah. I think so. I'm, okay. ex- I'm so excited to learn about yours. Okay. Um, so I've always been really fascinated with unsolved cases. I've even said in like one of our first episodes together that those are my favorite ones to, you know, read about or research because it's, you know, that unknown or what if factor. And in turn, I guess I'd have to say my most favorite is or are unsolved cases due to like my opinion just because of what I think is wrongful conviction. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, yeah, I think it's just really funny because I'm usually just so on the prosecutor side that like I can't stand defense attorneys. And so it's pretty interesting. I was really, truly humbled when researching this and really taken a notch down or five because I'm just like, oh, defense attorneys and like prosecutors can't do anything wrong. And it's like, let me just just wait. Ooh. I'll tell you all all the details. Okay. So, um, I originally, when Cassie and I were messaging each other a couple weeks ago, we wanted to really cover, you know, this type of topic, something topical, but not murder-ish. Um, and I had been torn between a few things. And um, I originally decided on the topic of DNA and giving sort of a history of its origin and the justice system and sort of like the advancements therein. But the more I researched, the more I was sort of drawn to the exonerations via DNA evidence. So I kind of just switched my plan, went with exonerations. Um, I am, however, going to start my exonerations topic with a little bit of basic DNA information that I found interesting since they really can go hand in hand, uh, especially, you know, with exonerations. So (laughs) um, the DNA information I'm about to discuss comes from an article written in 2000. So keep that in mind. I did find it the most informative even though it is dated, I still found it really interesting. And since it's not my main topic, it's not the end of the world. So um, databases in 24 states, including Texas, are linked to the federal system that contains DNA profiles from state crime laboratories. And in 1995, the Texas legislature directed the Department of Public Safety, which is DPS for obviously everyone knows that, uh, to establish and maintain a computerized DNA database to help federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies investigate and prosecute offenses in which biological evidence is recovered. So 1995 is really when Texas got into the criminal validity of DNA. It's pretty late in the game, right? It's, it's like yeah. a three or four years behind. I mean, definitely since, I mean, we've said it before that DNA evidence has, came about in the mid to late 80s mm-hmm. and then wasn't used until the 90s. Yeah. So, yeah, a good 10 years yeah. is when we s- sort of got on board. So, uh, since 1995, like I said, prison inmates must provide DNA samples if ordered to, uh, to do so by court. Or if they have been convicted of a specific crime. These crimes include murder, aggravated assault, burglary of habitation involving a felony or other than theft, a sex offense that requires the offender to register as a sex offender. Um, Similar requirements actually also apply to juveniles committed to the Texas Youth Commission. All right. So DPS maintains the database of prison inmates. DNA profiles in Austin, obviously our capital. So forensic labs throughout the state, including eight labs run by DPS, uh, send profiles uh, from DNA found at crime scenes to Austin to see if they match any of the database database samples DPS has received. And again, this is in 2000. So imagine now. 62,000 DNA samples for its database has of late October 2000. 50,000 plus samples have not been tested. The lab receives an average of 3,000 samples per month, and about 90% are sent by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and the rest are ordered by courts for persons on probation or parole. 
I really had a hard time with the end of that sentence because I personally think that if this is still the case and I researched and researched and researched and maybe I'm just an idiot, but I could not find anything super definitive on this. But um, this is like the biggest waste of manpower because I'm assuming it would cost obviously some money to build more facilities and so on. But wouldn't it make sense to have separate parole and probation labs that keep those DNA profiles? Like if I mean, I asked Jay, like, if all you're tested for, like, while on parole or probation is a blood alcohol level or urinalysis or what have you, um, nothing to do with DNA, then why is it kept in Austin Mm -hmm. and blocking, like, the flow Mm -hmm. of other cases being tested? But, again, I couldn't find anything that said otherwise, so I really don't know if that's changed. Um, Wow. I hope it has, because I feel like parolees and stuff, their DNA needs to be at, like, the top of the list for... But see, I also think that it needs to be completely separate because it's like that just needs to be sort of on its own thing. Yeah. And like all the crime scene DNA can go to the parolee, whatever, and then the general database. And Mm -hmm. it's like that's because as we've seen, a lot of parolees maybe kill people and rape people. Right. Wow. Oh, my God. It's like the backlog shit. We need to talk about the backlog on an episode. And I don't know <laughs> what I don't know exactly what this entails and maybe what I'm missing and what articles I should have read up on. But I literally really, really tried and I couldn't find much on it. Like I Googled every type which way and it was just kind of uh, it was a dead end. Yeah. That's- um, so not counting personnel costs. It costs DPS about $14 to analyze each DNA sample for the database. DPS is paying the private lab, which... Okay, so I kind of sort of cut this out because it was going to lead me on a tangent, but I'm going to do it anyway. So they have their own labs and they also work with private labs. And I think that that's a bit of a conflict. You're not using your own uh, staff. You're using a completely different company um, and so on and so forth within those realms. And I just think that's a little risky. Yeah. I mean, I know that everyone has their own um, sort of way of doing things, mm-hmm. and I'll get into that later. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I think that's kind of sketchy. Why wouldn't yeah. you want all of your shit in one place? But I also understand that you don't have enough people, and you need more time, and you need more uh, resources, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so anyway, DPS is playing, uh, paying the private lab about $29 to analyze each DNA sample. So developing DNA profiles from samples taken from offenders is generally obviously, you know, less expensive uh, than analyzing crime scene evidence because samples from offenders are, you know, you take a swipe of a mouth or semen sample or whatever. Um, it's pretty pristine, uh, whereas crime scene samples can be more difficult to extract and must be preserved and handled in specific ways. Issues that uh, sort of go into this DNA situation that will go into exoneration. Some have have suggested that court guidelines for ordering DNA testing should limit such tests to cases in which the defendant pled not guilty, identity was an issue, and test results would not exonerate the defendant if the results were as the defendant claimed they would be, and the biological evidence was subject to a certain chain of custody. So... At first, I was like, why is this pissing me off so bad? Because they initially said, well, why would, you know, 
they order it if they pled a certain way, blah, 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 blah. But right. they pretty much just kind of decided on that this would ensure that testing was done only for cases in which inmates had a chance to prove their innocence, allowing when DNA evidence would exonerate the inmate, not just when DNA evidence was material to the case. So it would ensure favorable testing like all the way around. Like okay. they and eventually landed on that. Okay. So, it, so it's a good thing. Yeah, eventually. Okay. They like... It was a suggestion, and then they landed on something different. Okay. So, yeah. The suggestions are pretty asinine in all of this. <laughs> um, this is one of the most baffling things that really, really bothered me, and this is what put me on to the tangent of all the parole and probation stuff. Um, no statewide protocol exists for handling evidence, including DNA evidence after criminal trial. It's really, really sad, you guys. So, and you can read this, you can Google this, okay? So, from what I've read, there still isn't one. Um, the FBI supposedly educates law enforcement agencies with up-to-date steps on how to effectively process DNA tests before and after trial, but there is still no set standard across the country. So, every state does their own thing, whether it's followed up on or not. Um, you know, there's basics of like, okay, take the tube and draw the blood or, mm -hmm. you know, swipe the mouth or take the semen or whatever. But there's no, um, there's nothing step by step of like really where to store it, how to store it, things like that. So it's a lot of room for error. Right. Exactly. So, uh, procedures, like I said, vary from county to county, uh, and can depend on what happened to the evidence during trial. So this article said, for example, if a DNA sample or test is entered as evidence, a county clerk is responsible for it, but the law sets no requirement for where or how it should be stored. Like, why the fuck not? First of all. So you can take it home with you if you want. This is literally what it says. So according to one district attorney, a district attorney, a county clerk or excuse me, a court clerk stored evidence in uh, a garage at home. Police departments might store DNA evidence collected from a crime scene but not tested, uh, or a lab might store DNA evidence that has uh, has tested it and deemed it not relevant to the case. So there's all kinds of things across the board. So you might keep a sample that has no relevance. You might not keep a sample that has relevance, and you might keep it stored improperly. So there's nothing to say anything otherwise. Like, I don't know why this hasn't been dealt with. If it has, then please uh, email us or whatever. Yeah. But um, from the research I did or could do, it's pretty much across the board. But I feel like this is where a lot of, like, when you and I are recording and we're like, how how did this happen? Like, specifically, it brought to mind the Angela Simota case where it was like, oh, well, her evidence is just, like, lost. We can't find it. And it's like, well, maybe this is exactly what happened, is and that it, no one could track it down. Yeah. And I just wrote down the Jeffrey Wright case. Like, mm -hmm. they didn't, some of the evidence that was found under his fingernails weren't stored properly, mm -hmm. so they molded and they couldn't use it. Like, that's how <clears throat> this stuff happens. Are you kidding? This could have definitely, like, all of our back and forth about this woman could have been definitively proved if there Be were guidelines. Mold, like guidelines like yeah th that's guidelines this is people's lives we're talking oh, about yeah. oh yes wow okay continue this is very <laughs> informative already i know uh so this was an interesting paragraph from a pretty lengthy article that i read so quote contamination can be this is just like insane to me uh it took me a minute to process so contamination can be prevented, obviously, with care and proper technique. DNA transfer, which is the migration of cells from person to person between people and objects, is inevitable when we touch, speak, do laundry, etc. A 1996 
Okay. Reiterate, 1996. If they can prove this in 1996, go fuck off. Okay. Studies show that sperm cells from a single stain on one item of clothing made their way onto every item of clothing in the washer. And because we all shed different amounts of cells, the strongest DNA profile on an object doesn't always correspond to the person who most recently touched it. Ooh. Scary, right? Yeah. Granted, again, this was 96, so that's pretty profound Yeah. for 96. Do they have a different answer for 2018? I have no idea. Okay. But from what, again, I've read, not so much. Wow. Uh, quote, I could pick up a knife at 10 in the morning, but an analyst testing the handle that day might find a stronger and more complete DNA profile from my wife who was using it four nights earlier. This is uh, kind of what most people are talking about in this day and age called mixture DNA. And this is where they can determine supposedly a more prominent profile from another. So you can get all these different types of DNA, but you can pull a more, you know, like I said, prominent, like okay. more obvious or more pronounced, whatever. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, my from my wife who was using it four nights earlier. Or the analyst might find a profile of someone who never touched the knife at all. One recent study asked participants to shake hands with a friend for two minutes and then hold a knife. When the DNA on the knives was analyzed, the friend was identified as a contributor in 85% of cases and in 20% as the main or sole contributor. Oh, wow. Two-minute handshake, that's a bit much. But still, you can see how trace DNA and transfer DNA Sex. is actually a thing. Mm-hmm. I can literally shake your hand and then go and touch a murder weapon and hope that it transfers. I don't know, but it has a good possibility that it might. And I could just frame you for fucking murder. That's nuts. Isn't that crazy? Oh, wow. Which makes... It makes DNA just like... Kind of flip it. a thing. I can see why people were so, I mean, it's widely accepted now, but I can see why people were so skeptical about it because even still, it's kind of like, hello, what? I'm right. Sorry. And who knows if people read this article? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. People are saying DNA is DNA is DNA is DNA. Right. Is it? Um, another interesting story, uh, and this isn't really whatever. Anyway, another interesting story is that in uh, June 2014, so the Houston Chronicle reported that a former analyst at the uh, old crime lab in Houston, his name was Peter Lentz, had resigned after a Houston Police Department internal investigation, found evidence of misconduct, including improper procedure, lying, and tampering with official record. A representative from the county district attorney's office told the Chronicle that her office was looking into all of nearly 200 cases, including 51 murder cases that Lentz had worked on during his time at the lab. Uh I love this part in parentheses on the article. It says a grand jury declined to indict Lentz for any wrongdoing. Uh, He could not be reached for comment. Oh, of course not. Like, how does that happen? He's a powerful player. It just shows. It just shows that. I don't know. People might have been put to death. Right. I didn't. I didn't follow up with this, but I just added it in because it was so unreal of like testing and how things can come across wrong but also right but you just don't know oh my god okay so anyway um 
Another issue is that critics of the current system say that legislature needs to address the lack of uniformity in handling practices because evidence that could exonerate defendants could be mishandled or lost. I put in all caps, duh. Yeah. Um, uh, Some argue that prosecutors or counties should be required to preserve DNA evidence for at least as long as an inmate is in prison because scientific advances might allow more sophisticated testing in the future. I agree, but I also think this was a little bit of a um, statement made from, like, you know, early 90s-ish, but maybe not, which is kind of sad, because then some have suggested setting a specific period, such as 10 years, for keeping evidence. No. 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 (laughs) No. That's not. No. No. BTK got away for 40 years. Yeah. I think that's right, but I don't know if this has been dealt with. I don't know if this has been, you know, figured out or resolved or whatever. Another report I read said that they have even suggested that if a defendant, oh Oh, no, if a defendant confessed to the crime, that keeping DNA was basically pointless. (gasps) You get coerced confessions. I I know. I know. I know. (laughs) It's great. It's super great. It's the country we live in. So critics. Of taking DNA samples from arrestees. I just want to... I'm sorry. There are critics of this? I don't want to say shoot these people in the head because I'm not really sure where I stand on gun gun laws. But (laughs) uh, anyway, uh, they say that this would violate their privacy rights and be burdensome, time-consuming, and expensive for law enforcement agencies. If they are suspected of a particular crime, a DNA sample can be taken if there is a probable cause and a search warrant for a specific crime. Some believe taking samples from all arrestees and comparing them to evidence from unsolved crimes could amount to an unconstitutional search and seizure. No, I'm sorry. If I... If I were to get arrested for something like a DUI, that would ruin my career. Take, but take also, you could DNA. have murdered. You could have murdered so many people, yeah. and no one would have known. And if by yeah. taking your DUI swab, bullshit, whatever, you could, could link you back to so many people. Like these people need to just go jump in a river yes. and drown. Like I don't. That wasn't very. There's no refusal now. They can take blood tests from us now. Like, it's just, just a thing, dude. Like These are, this is honestly, again, what I've been studying in school, like public it, or public advocate people uh-huh. versus like individual rights people. And it's like, it's really hard because I see both sides. Right. But then some issues I'm like, no. Yeah. No. Why wouldn't you want to warn the public yes. and try and catch someone that's been killing people, whether it's one or six or 12 yes. or whatever? Wouldn't you want to do the right thing and like catch them? Yeah. Like, that's silly. That's something Fucking that that's it's like taking this this giant like Eureka. Aha. This giant resource away from us and letting so many criminals go mm-hmm. free. These people are morons and I bet they voted for a certain president in office. Was two thousand? Is that Clinton? Or I'm talking about the current one. Oh well, this article. I'm sure they also voted for Bush. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Again, let me reiterate: if these things are still a thing in 2018, I wouldn't be fucking surprised. To be perfectly honest with you, maybe they have now changed their mind because that was a while ago, and maybe they still were skeptical about things. No, I'm pretty sure these are like the people that make our laws. So this isn't just like. A poll from Podunk Town, Texas. This is like a thing. 
From What's the difference between a full <laughs> in Podunk Town, Texas, and the people who make our laws? There's no difference. I'm sorry. Different podcast. <laughs> no, that's good. I enjoy it. Um, oh, so anyway, more wine. I will get off of that tangent because Cassie is not favorable. Um, that was a brief little overview of the expense and the process of DNA testing and the issues, the big issues that have or still do lie within. Um, we're not really sure. But regardless, I can't believe that those things were even brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty astonishing. So we'll move into exoneration. So I know we are a tex- Texas-themed podcast. Are you taking a picture of my dog? I am. I was going to post it on the Facebook maybe oh. as our like podcast bunny. Oh, He's just so cute today. He is so cute. He is sleepy, sleepy dog ears. Okay, so again, I know that we're a Texas-themed podcast, but I just want to remind everyone that, you know, that this week specifically, we are talking about topics um, in a general sense. Mm-hmm. So some of the statistics that I will read, they aren't just about Texas. Um, so groups like the Innocence Project, Amnesty International, Centurion, and Truth and Justice are just a few of the groups that are assisting, funding, and educating the U.S. and beyond for wrongfully convicted inmates. So to start off, I'd like to read a few statistics from exonerations in 2013 countrywide. Okay. I'll get into more 2016, 2017 here in a minute, but I wanted to read this stuff because I thought it was interesting. So um, the average length of sentence served by DNA exonerees is 13.6 years. Approximate total years served by all DNA exonerees is 4,156. Percentage of prisoners exonerated by DNA uh, who are not Caucasian, 70%. Oh, my God. Percentage of DNA exoneration cases where the actual perpetrator has been identified by DNA testing, almost 50%. Unreal. Are these all, do you know, are, are, are these numbers coming from cases, like these guys were exonerated in 2013 and they had been in for this long. So these are cases that were in the 90s and this the is early 2000s. In a, this is an average. So whoever spent 13.6 years-ish in jail have been there that long and so on and so forth. Right. So, well, yeah. So, but yeah. their crimes, they were actually convicted way, way <clears throat> earlier. Mm-hmm. So this led me on a tangent of sort of how much does it actually cost to keep an inmate in prison? Ooh, I'm glad you're touching on this. Cause, yes. Yep. I didn't think I wanted to, but I was like, this is too interesting. Like, yeah. this is showing how much we're paying. No offense, but for people to be in jail for the wrong reason. Okay. Right. So according to a 2014 report by the Hamilton Project, the United States World-leading incarceration rates make it, quote, an international outlier, and the country spends over, get ready, $80 billion annually on maintaining its growing prison population. How many of those people are in there for nonviolent drug offenses? Oh. Like marijuana. Oh, I'll get to it. I, like, literally so get to it. I'm kind of hot in here right now. Um. Let's see here. Where was I? Okay. Prison. I'm going to get into some other states, but first off, prison costs Texas taxpayers $50.79 per inmate per day, amounting what? to 
just wait, $18,538 per year, which is below the national average. I'm going to list some more. Oh, that's because we just kill everyone really quickly. Well, no, we'll go into that with nine. Uh, exactly. Uh, the costs include payments to local jails, payments to other states for housing of out of out of state sentenced inmates and expenses outside the corrections department budgets, such as health care and employee benefits. Uh, also, each new state prison bed and I mean bed, meaning I'm pretty sure they mean room. Oh, OK. I thought you meant like the tiny. Right. Million. Because this is an outrageous number is $60,000 to build. So I don't think it's just a fucking cot. You right. know what I'm saying? Um, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice budget has increased from $739 million from 1990 to more than $3 billion in 2012. So imagine what it is now. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, right? Oh, I'm sorry. And we, we need a wall. I, like... I don't know what's happening. So, <laughs> average cost. I don't like this podcast anymore. Know, it makes me want to leave everything. <laughs> the country. I literally messaged her. I was like, I'm moving to Canada. And she's like, I'll come with you. <laughs> oh, God. So, Illinois, home of Chicago. We all know average annual cost per inmate, 38000 This is 28 extra, or 20, sorry, 20 extra dollars. 20000 extra dollars. Yeah. Uh, more than Texas. Average daily inmate population is 45,551 people. Wow. Uh, Maryland, home to good old Baltimore, shittiest crime state ever. Average annual, no offense, average annual cost per inmate, 38,383. So a little bit more than Illinois. Average daily inmate population is much less 21,786. I'm assuming that's because of just cost of living, so on and so forth of the state, but I could be totally fucking wrong. California. Average annual cost per inmate $47,421 per year. Average daily inmate population skyrocketing at the top of the list 167,276 inmates. And finally, to New York, the average annual cost per inmate is the highest that we've seen so far, $60,076 per year with the average daily inmate population of almost 60000 This is astounding so. considering these inmates are living in almost inhumane condition. Right. There and are I, prisons that don't have air conditioning it, in like Georgia. Like I th- what? I think it really goes back to that sentence of like it goes into budgets for healthcare and paying for your, you know, your what are the corrections officers. You right. Know what I mean? That's part of the issue there is that well I you gotta pay New York more too, because like, Oh absolutely. They always are. Oh God. Um you have to pay these guys more because they live in New York City because this, you know, cost of living is different. Yada yada yada. So I still thought that was interesting. (laughs) I hate everything today. This episode was a terrible idea. (laughs) It was her idea. It was. I am so upset with the Just reminder, Texas is literally on the lower end. 18 not it's 18.5 grand that's nuts to me that compared to end. 60 for new york okay wow all right so in an article written in 2016 it says quote across the country 
A record-setting 159 men and women were exonerated last year, so for 2015, after spending an average of 14 and a half years in prison for crimes they didn't commit, which is up a whole year from 2013, the statistic I provided just a second ago. So Texas again topped the list of overturned convictions with more than one-third of the total. 54 Texans were exonerated last year, according to the National Registry of Exonerations Annual Report. Most of those cases came from fucking Harris County. Yo, Harris County. I think you're supposed to say H-Town, but it's fine. God. (laughs) We're the worst. We're white. It's okay. Um, Which had the most exonerations of any county in the fucking country. Yep. Reporting. 42 convictions vacated in drug cases and one overturned death sentence. Uh, So we'll start with exonerations by state and then move into more specifics after that. Okay, so exonerations by jurisdiction slash state. So there were 166 exonerations in 2016, including 153 in 25 states and the District of of Columbia, plus 10 federal cases, which sounds pretty serious, Mm -hmm. and then three in Puerto Rico. The states with the most exonerations are in order. Texas, Illinois, New York, California, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Oklahoma, and Virginia. There's more on that, um, but that was just like the first little bit. So my mom actually argued that, of course, you know, Houston, Chicago, New York, those were going to be in the top. And I actually, surprisingly, I was kind of proud of myself because I immediately said, you know, I don't really think that, you know, population is cause for correlation to crime just because you have a big population. Yes, I don't necessarily disagree with her just because of the fact that, like, you have more people, so more crime is probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's an obvious reason for it to happen. Do you know what I mean? I think you have to look at the population, the, the, the amount of the population that is other than white. And if, Unfortunately, that, if, yeah. if, if that portion of the population is bigger, then I, there are going to be more convictions and more arrests. So, so I don't, I, I agree. I don't correlate it to population. Right. I correlate it to a certain population mm-hmm. because of the systematic oppression that we've so, talked about before. Like I said, I doubted my mom saying, well, because of the population, blah, blah, blah. I immediately read, quote, these numbers may not reflect the frequency of wrongful conviction across jurisdictions. For example, California with a population of 39 million had only nine exonerations in 2016, while Illinois, under uh, just under 13 million, had 16 exonerations, and Texas, with almost 28 million, kind of right in between the two, had 50 fucking eight. I hope I got close enough to the microphone for everyone to hear that. 58, which is great, but also terrible. So that was just a look at exonerations in each state, but now I'll go into specifics. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I just have, I'm seeing highlighted things, which is scary. <laughs> DNA and non-DNA exonerations. So 17 exonerations in 2016 were based in whole or in part on DNA identification evidence. Just 10% of the total, which is a decrease from last year's total of 26 DNA exonerations. So overall, DNA exonerations now account for 22% 
of the exonerations in the registry. So a lot of people think, you know, oh, you know, they've been exonerated. It must be, you know, a, a Stephen Avery thing or a what have you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not always the case. Um, official misconduct. So initially I asked my mom, I said, what do you mean? What do you think it means by official misconduct? And she was like, well, I think it means like determinant or like definitive. And I was like, well, I think it means official, like a law official. And I was fucking right. So <laughs> suck it, mom. Just kidding. Aww. She's our only follower. Yes, we, we, we love you, mom. <laughs> so again, this means law official. So um, take a breath. 42% Reiteration, 42% of exonerations in 2016 included official misconduct. Official misconduct encompasses a range of behavior from police threatening witnesses to forensic analysts falsifying test results to child welfare workers pressuring children to claim sexual abuse where none has occurred. Uh, The most (laughs) common misconduct documented in the cases in the registry involves police or prosecutors or both concealing exculpatory evidence i'm an idiot and didn't really realize what exculpatory meant and if do you know what it means no i'm pretty sure one of the one of the links i sent you for the source is like me looking up clemency so it's okay okay. cool i thought it meant like more of like a defaming nature but it literally means like it gives if you're a prosecutor exculpatory evidence would mean that it would give the defense kind of like a one-up um, and it would defame your evidence and vice versa. So like right, a if, law proceeding? Right. Exactly. So in highlighted, I put the proportion of exonerations with official misconduct is the highest among homicide cases. More than two thirds of homicide exonerations involved misconduct by law officials. What do we talk about? They found their guy, so they are going to make their evidence exactly before that they guy. Make, just like True Crime Garage says all the time, they make their narrative. Yes. They make the plot and the, the storyline and the evidence fall where they want it to. Uh, the second thing that is uh, really big into exonerations is guilty pleas. We don't, mm-hmm. Do we want to go into this one? Exonerations in cases in which defendants pled guilty, uh, you know, used to be a pretty unusual thing. They have become more common. So 2016, 45% of all exonerations, which is 74 out of 166, were in guilty plea cases about the same rate as about, you know, 2015, so a year prior. That's almost half, just like the other. So they uh, were forced into that plea. Right. Exactly. So in contrast, just 10 years ago, it was just over about 13%. So 10 years, it went from 13% to 45%. Um, more than three quarters of guilty pleas came from drug charges. We'll go into it, like I said. But six were homicide exonerations, four of which included false confessions and three for child sex abuse. Even fucking better. Right. My God, we suck. The third issue is uh, not really an issue. It's more of a positive issue. So they're called conviction integrity units. I literally have never heard of this before in my life. It shows how unconnected I am or disconnected, unconnected, wow, to politics and news and things like that. So I realized that I may not be alone. 
A lot of people may not. Do you know what conviction and te- integrity units are? Absolutely yeah, not. exactly. So it's called the CIU, which sounds familiar, but that could just be similar to like CSI. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or CIA. Uh, <laughs> all of the above. Uh, is a division of prosecutorial office that works to prevent, identify, and remedy false convictions. Like, I want to work for these people. Oh, yeah. So they're a good, yeah. great thing. So the CIU, uh, they're in nine counties, in, or excuse, excuse me, in nine counties were involved in a record of 70 exonerations in 2016, 10 more than 2015, which is great. Um, 48 of the CIU exonerations in 2016, which is 69%, were drug conviction guilty plea cases. Can you imagine being the person that does this analysis? Like, my mind is blown. Oh, I think they drink a lot, probably. Um, again, 69% were drug conviction guilty plea cases from, you want to guess? African Americans. Harris County. Oh, I'm sorry. So, I, yeah, I, I thought I thought we were talking about no, no, like no, a, a specific race. You want to do it again? Which is also, a, a, it's, a, it's an issue. Right. But Harris County. Yay. We're going to go into drug cases really quick. So, sure. Specifically for Harris County in Texas. Okay, this is the Houston area. Um, drug exonerations are due in large part to the um, diligence of the CIU. So in t- early 2014, the deputy deputy district attorney, um, newly assigned head of the Harris County District Attorney's post-conviction review section, it's a mouthful, noticed that her, girl, her office... Right. What? Okay. Let me pause. Did you listen to the mini sode of MFM? Yes. And it was like, I had to pee so bad that blah, 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 blah. And I was like, did they not decide to mention that this bitch was ahead of a construction crew? Like they just left that out. So I'm going to put that in there for this girl. I waited very diligently until the end where I was like, it's a Nicole. Right. I was like, okay, Nick, Nick. Okay. It's a Nicole. It's a full on Nicole. Yes. All right. So good, good for you. Go pee. It's great. (laughs) Anyway, so her office was processing a steady trickle of cases in which defendants pled guilty to possession of illegal drugs. And then months or years later, a report from the crime lab would reveal that the material seized from the defendant contained no controlled substances. Uh, She investigated and found that there were many more such cases and that they were not being handled slow, that they were being handled uh, slowly and inconsistently. The result has been 126 drug crime exonerations so far, including 45 in 2018 and no doubt more to come. Just in this year? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they wrote this. I agree. This is a problem. That disproportionately affects minorities, especially African-Americans. We see racial disparities and exonerations for all types of crime, but the disparities are especially stark for drug cases. Mm. About half of the people exonerated for non-drug related crimes in 2016 were African-American. In contrast, roughly two thirds of those exonerated for drug possession or sale in 2016 were African-American. It goes both ways, I guess, is what they're trying to say. So I know that's a lot of numbers and people and ethnicities and percentages and yada yada. But basically, they're saying a lot of African-American people are framed. Mm hmm. Or they are pressured into confessing and then later found out not guilty. 
So, which leads to the next question. Why did so many defendants plead guilty when they are innocent? I'm harping on this drug factor because it's a big thing, specifically in Cassie and I's city and uh, pretty much just in general. The um, So again, why did so many defendants plead guilty when they were innocent? The explanation is especially likely for defend- defendants with criminal records who generally cannot post the comparatively high bails set for them. Mm-hmm. And who risk substantial prison sentences if convicted. This is horribly unfortunate. I don't know where to begin with that, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, Faulty forensic tests are partly to blame. In 94 of all 140 drug crime exonerations in Harris County, the defendants were arrested on the basis of, quote, field tests. This is super important for everyone to know. Basically, commonly used drug field tests are unreliable. They routinely misidentify everything from, quote, Jolly Ranchers to soap to cat litter as illegal drugs. They are inadmissible as evidence in court, but sufficiently, or excuse me, but are sufficient enough to justify an arrest, as they may convince an innocent defendant that he slash slash she. No, yep. It's the wine. Yep, the wine. They may convince an innocent defendant that they are bound to be convicted at trial so they would do better to plead guilty. So they think, okay, they tested me. They found me positive for, say, cocaine. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I did cocaine maybe six months ago. Is it in my system? Oh, my God. And then, cool. And my sister was on psychiatric meds that... Would she had to preface with every job that wow. drug tested her and had to take doctor's notes that said this comes up as an amphetamine and it is not an amphetamine, it is this thing. And she she lost jobs for that because people didn't believe her. And it's like, that's dude, unfortunate, it, yeah. And like, all, all it takes is a crooked cop that's like, I don't like your skin tone. Oh, absolutely. And I just don't, I don't see the point that, like, why is it that, like, a well known to you know, a shitty test that's well known to be shitty is also inadmissible in court, but it's also enough to arrest someone. Mm-hmm. That doesn't equal out. They can't. It doesn't correlate. They cannot, yeah. One without the other does not, it doesn't make sense. No. So, and just to reiterate again, the stuff I just read wasn't from the 2000 article. This is from the 2016 article. So this isn't, you know... 18 some odd years ago this was just a couple years ago right and that's not to say that there aren't like we i mean i feel like just to make us safe we always have to say there are good cops and cops do a great job like i said there's technicalities yeah and we we are not anti-cop but we are anti (laughs) all of this bullshit no this is so tragic proportional yeah the, the the tragedy that happens to these families like literally ripping families apart this race due to corruption and coercion and yeah everyone is for cops this is like they protect us we want them to protect us and not just white people we want them to protect us yes nice Mm -hmm. um there were more exonerations in 2016 than ever before more than three a week there are now 29, luckily, there are 29 conviction integrity units across the country. A decade ago, there was one. An increasing number of, this is really good. So an increasing number of prosecutors, the most powerful players in American uh, system of criminal justice, 
They actually seem to recognize the seriousness of the problem of false convictions. Duh, duh. Uh, and are acting to discharge their duty to protect the innocent as well as punish the guilty. So I think that's great. Okay. If that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This article says all this represents progress, okay? So, but the magnitude of the change should not be overstated. So the record numbers of exonerations that we have seen in recent years have not yet made a dent in the number of innocent defendants who have been convicted and punished. Uh, Innocence Projects and Conviction Integrity Units, CIUs, that take their work seriously are inundated with claims of innocence that they have no time to investigate. Um, So some major exonerations that I wanted to mention before kind of closing thoughts here. Um, In 1995, 20-year-old Elizabeth Ramirez, 21-year-old Christy Mayhew, 19-year-old Cassandra Rivera, and 19-year-old Anna Vasquez were indicted on charges of sexually molesting Elizabeth's, Elizabeth Ramirez, the first girl I mentioned, her 7-year-old and 9-year-old nieces in San Antonio, Texas. The children claim that all four of the adult women and them spent a week in July 1994 in an orgy of child molestation. Beginning in 2008, the National Center for Reason and Justice, a national organization co-founded by Debbie Nathan, um, she wrote a book about satanic ritual abuse cases, began reinvestigating the case. Debbie called public attention to the defendants who became known as the San Antonio Four. Eventually, she obtained the assistance of attorney Mike Ware, executive director of the Innocence Project of Texas. So pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, contacted a filmmaker who made a documentary uh, documentary about the case titled, quote, Southwest of Salem that was released in April 2016, blah, blah, blah. 2010, Stephanie, the younger victim, recanted her trial testimony. Wow. Stephanie said that she and her sister were coerced by their father to make the false claims because Elizabeth had rejected his romantic advances. <gasps> Holy mother of Mary. Next one. August 20, August 29th, 1992. Six-year-old Lindsay Murdoch's grandmother gave him, yes, Lindsay, just wanted to clarify. Ugh. Some men were named Lindsay. Oh, don't, uh, do don't, don't do that to your kid. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, gave him a dollar to go to a corner grocery store on the south side of Chicago to buy candy. The boy's body was found discovered the following day in an abandoned garage. He had been raped and murdered. After four days of interrogation, detectives said that 31-year-old Mark Maxson, a neighborhood resident and handyman, admitted that the boy followed him into an abandoned building and where uh, when he resisted performing a sex act, sex act, Mark raped him and stabbed him to death. Mark was charged with first-degree murder and aggravated criminal sexual assault. The state sought, sought the death penalty. Mark claimed that the detectives denied his request for a lawyer, slapped him in the face, kicked him in the ribs, and fed him the information about the crime that was then used to construct a false confession. Wow. That's so upsetting. Um, this little boy's murder went right. free. Uh, the detectives testified that the, <laughs> the interrogation was not coercive or abusive. Right. In May 2016, the test identified a male DNA profile that did not match Mark. It was determined that the DNA profile obtained um, from the clothing matched that of Wade Osborne, who had served 22 years in prison for stabbing 
his uncle to death in 1994. He gave a uh, videotape confession admitting that he killed the boy. And in September 2016, he was charged with the boy's rape and murder. At the same time, Mark's convictions were vacated. The prosecutors dismissed the charges and he was released after spending more than 20 years in prison. So the last one that I will mention, like I said before, closing statements here, um, the very famous case, relatively, I guess, um, if you're familiar with Carrie Max Cook, uh, I've listened again to the Generation Y podcast that covered this. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, he was arrested in August 1977. He was 21 years old. He was charged with the brutal murder and rape of 21-year-old Linda Jo Edwards in Tyler, Texas. One year later, he, this is just crazy. Uh, I keep saying that, but it really is. This whole thing is crazy. uh, Yeah. One year later, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death. After 13 years on death row, where he was abused and raped and twice tried to commit suicide, he, uh, his sentence was uh, reversed based on a technicality. The new trial with a new district attorney took place in 1992 And unfortunately, it resulted in a hung jury, which is like the worst situation. Then once again, in 1996, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals reversed the the conviction. The court also published a scathing critique of the conduct of both the police and prosecution going back all the way to the first trial in 1978. They wrote that the investigation was intentionally misleading the testimony of the key witness, uh, Robert Hohen. I believe is how you pronounce his name, uh, was prejudicial and the first conviction was obtained through fraud and violation of the law. So basically what we talked about earlier, official misconduct. Yep. Um, so while Kerry refused to plead, uh, he refused to plead guilty. The prosecutor, afraid to lose the trial, but not willing to dismiss the case, um, he just thought that there was one more possible option, and that's when he put forward the fact that the Supreme, Co- Supreme Court decided in 1970 that the Constitution allowed for a defendant to make a deal and plead guilty while still maintaining innocence. So such a plea is called an Alford plea or a no contest plea. Um, so this prosecutor felt like he had little choice. He offered Kerry the no contest plea, which means that Kerry can maintain his innocence while knowing the court has convicted him. Um, this is the only time that this has ever happened in a death penalty case in Texas where an Alford Jeez. plea has been allowed. Wow. So Kerry took the plea. And then, of course, two months after he took the no contest plea and 22 years after the murder, the results came out uh, of a DNA analysis of a semen stain found on the victim's underwear, underwear which had been discovered prior to the scheduled date of the fourth trial. The DNA did not match, match Carrie. So those are all the ones that I'm going to mention. Um, I'll wrap this up real quick because we have Cassie's stuff to get to, but um I do want to say one last thing. Um, The justice system is flawed with subjective or outdated laws. It is flawed with lack of protocol. Clearly, it is uh, flawed with all kinds of things. But I think the biggest thing is that it's operated by human beings. And I think you've said this yourself that like people are just selfish. They're ignorant. They're racist. They're lazy. They're dishonest. Um, This isn't a general statement, in my opinion, across the board. But it's frightening to think that people are, you know, you think of the people that are supposed to help you, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, our police officers, our judges, our lawyers, our lab techs. Yeah. You know, they're committing terrible crimes 
which perpetuate more doubt and mistrust into the already fractured justice system. And I wish that human nature wasn't as greedy and biased as we are naturally born, I guess. And I wish that seeking the truth actually got you somewhere. And that there was a real difference between good guys and bad guys. But at the end of the day, there is no difference. It's not the number in your bank account. It's not what school you went to. It's not where you're from or whatever, you know, side of the tracks you're on. You choose to do the right thing. You choose to do the wrong thing. Just because of where you stand or sit in a courtroom does not make you better or worse than someone else. As we can see, the truth isn't always the truth. And the truth may not be found out for 20-something years. So I hope that exonerations keep occurring and that good people are doing what they can in this country and for the wrongfully convicted and making an example of those who have deceived us for far too long. Yep. So. Agreed. Sorry, prosecutors. I was on your side. Now I'm super torn. Yep. Just, uh, just purveying truth that humans equal corruption. Yeah, and, and there's, there's no just, way around it. Yeah, there's no Leslie Nopes of the world, and they're there that just people no. suck, and just just try to suck as much less as you can. <laughs> so my topic tonight for our uh, true crime study mm. episode, yes, um, I decided to do the Texas death penalty because that's a it's a subject that I. I was educated on as it pertained to the different cases that we've done and different Mm -hmm. podcasts I've listened to. So I wasn't really educated on exactly what it meant and exactly the history of it. So mine is very history intensive. And then at the end, I wanted to focus on a lot of like the um, pros and cons to it as people see. So that's kind of the flow. Um, We're going to go through a lot of the history first and hopefully I don't bore you to death. I love you. I'm sorry. Please listen. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> bore you to death. Ooh, I didn't even get that. Yeah. The first recorded execution in the state of Texas occurred in 1819. Um, a white male, George Brown, was convicted of piracy and he was put to death. The next recorded death execution, or the next recorded execution after that, occurred in 1840, where a black free man named Henry Forbes. Um, He was convicted of jailbreaking. Prior to Texas statehood in 1846, eight executions by hanging were carried out. So both of the ones I mentioned were by hanging. Um, So we see 1819 to 1840, that's 21 years in between, you know, death penalties and executions. And then um, prior to the statehood, eight total were carried out. Hanging was used for all executions from 1846 to 1924, so that's just 20 years shy of 100 years. That's that's quite a while. Um, the law changed in 1923 that required Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville to be the facility used for executions, mm. um, and it required death by electric chair. Um, the Huntsville unit was also the home to the male death row until, or I'm sorry, I cross out until. Um, it was home to the male death row from 1928 to 1965, so it's quite a long time. Um, the first executions took place after the hanging law ended, and it made it 
to be, you know, death by electric chair. Um, the first executions occurred on February 8th, 1924. And the five men that were executed were Charles Reynolds, Ewell or Ewell Morris, George Washington, Mac Matthews, and Melvin Johnson. Um, these were all black males and they were all murderers or convicted of murder. Mm. I thought that was just important to mention. Um, that was the most carried out, most executions carried out in a single day in Texas. Um, and actually, Texas Still didn't... to this day? Uh, no, at the time. And the then. Texas still did multiple all on the same day. Um, they did that a lot. They killed a lot of people all on the same day. The last multiple execution was August 9th, 2000. After that, only one a day has occurred, but there's no law prohibiting it. 361 people died by electrocution, the last taking place on July 30th, 1964. Okay, so we got a date. Yep. Now we know. So, um, that is when the electric chair ended. Um, the Furman versus Georgia decision by the Supreme Court in 1972 determined that the death penalty was unconstitutional so they use the electric chair up up until then and then this Furman decision that happened in georgia basically used different um tenets of the law to say that death by electric chair was unconstitutional um it was cruel and unusual punishment etc etc so that caused the united states to just put a halt on all death executions and say that it was not allowed anymore so um when they determined that it was unconstitutional 52 death row inmates in texas had their sentences reduced to life life without parole you ask not necessarily what because one of these criminals was kenneth mcduff Someone who I've talked about before. This no. is who my coworker has a connection yeah. to. A person she lived. She was on the list or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. <gasps> and someone who I'm definitely going to do. Um, we'll briefly cover him because Kenneth McDuff. Kenneth McDuff is a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for this like really, you know, educational, sentimental sentence. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, which it was. It was, 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 was going to be so. So smart. So smart. <laughs> um, he was convicted of kidnapping, rape, and triple homicide murder in 1966. Good. Um, he was given three death sentences, which were all reduced to life after the Furman decision. Because he... His, wait, sorry. Each each thing was tried separately? Is that what you're trying yes. to say? Okay, I just want to make sure. Yes. Sorry. And he managed to weasel his way into being paroled in 1989. Something that when I cover him, I will go into depth to. Um, While he was on parole, he murdered and was executed in 1998 for that murder. But he was suspected of much, much more. So that was a very negative consequence of the Furman decision. Why these sentences weren't commuted to life without parole is beyond me. Um, But... Texas couldn't execute anymore, so they were like, eh, life in prison. And then some of these guys were able to get lawyers and get off and maybe murder more. Anyways, the Furman decision led to a revision of the laws. How do you spell that? Uh, F-U-R-M-A-N. Okay. So it's it was the Furman versus the state of Georgia decision. Okay. So um, they bifurcated. 
bifurcated, bifurcated, B-I-F-U-R-C-A-T-E-D, bifurcated the trial process, which means the conviction and punishment phases are separated. So before they were all in one, you convicted someone of murder, and then you also sentenced them to death or to life at the same time. So these revisions led to a separate trial for each. Um, It also narrowly limited the legal defense of capital murder and those offenses for which the death penalty could be imposed. Um, So the first death sentence given under the new law, flip the page, knock over my wine, was given on February 15th, 1974 to John DeVries, who died by suicide in his cell before he could even be executed. So that was just the first one given under this new law. And then the... Oh, I'm sorry. Furman versus... Okay, no, it was Furman versus Georgia because also Greg versus Georgia in 1976 re-allowed the death penalty in the United States. So... Wow. The first execution in Texas took place on December 7th, 1982. Um, this man was Charles Brooks Jr. He was the first person judicially executed by a lethal injection in the world and the first black person to be executed in the United States since 1967. So. Jeez. It's, yeah, there, there, there's a lot there, and that's someone that might be in interesting. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So since the Gregg decision, 537 people have been executed in Texas. Nine total ever. So 1982? Were Sorry, what was that? 1982, 600 some odd people? No, since the Gregg decision in 1976. 76, okay. Sorry. I was thinking about the memory. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. So the first one was in 1982. Okay. The Greg decision was in 1976. Okay. But yes, I see what person. you meant. Okay. So since 1982, 537. Um, only nine have been women. So yeah. under Texas statutes, a murder is capital if the offender is one of these nine things. Okay. So this nine? Is, yes. This is going to be legal jargon. I apologize, but I feel like no, no, it no. is important. I'm excited. If the def- if the offendant offender defendant thank you offendant the combo word it's perfect murders a public safety officer who is acting in the lawful discharge of an official duty and who the person knows is a police officer fireman or EMT slash paramedic two intentionally commits the murder in the course of committing or attempting to commit aggravated kidnapping. Burglary, robbery, aggravated sexual assault, arson, obstruction, or retaliation, or terroristic threat. So, we've talked about that before. Yeah. The murder has to be... Yeah. mm -hmm. Commits the murder for remurantation or the promise of remurantation or employs another to commit the murder... For remurantation or the promise of remurantation. Jesus Christ. Rem- remuneration is Re- what I should be saying. What is that? So remuneration means money paid for work or service. Sure. So that is kill for hire, basically. At the very, very basic, right, right. you know. So four, commits the murder while escaping or attempting to escape from a penal institution. 
Five, commits the murder while incarcerated of a person who is employed in the operation of the penal institution or with the intent to establish, maintain, or participate in a combination or in the profits of a combination. Of the penal institution. Penal. <laughs> Six, commits the murder while incarcerated for murder or while serving a sentence of life imprisonment or a term of 99 years for aggravated kidnapping, aggravated sexual assault, or aggravated robbery. Seven, murders more than one person during the same criminal's transaction or during different criminal transactions, but the murders are committed pursuant to the same scheme or course of conduct. Eight, murders an individual under 10 years of age. Nine, murders another person in retaliation for or on account of the service or status of the other person as a judge or justice of the Supreme Court the court of, court of Criminal Appeals, a Court of Appeals, a District Court, a Criminal District Court, a Constitutional County Court, a Statutory County Court, a Justice Court, or a Municipal, municipal Court. Texas statute <sighs> books still provide the death penalty for aggravated sexual assault committed by an offender previously convicted of the same against a child under 14. The victim's age under which a child murder is punishable by death was raised from 6 to 10 in 2011 by the Texas Legislature. So, those are your capital crimes that are automatic death penalty sentences. So, we will briefly cover the legal procedure, um, starting with the trial. Um, the prosecution may choose to not seek the death penalty. Mm. They, they can choose that. Um, death, though, must be decided by the jury, and it must be unanimous. Um, okay. Yes. Gotcha. So a, a life sentence only requires 10 votes. So if there is a hung jury, which means there is at least one person who does not agree to the death sentence, there is an automatic life sentence and no retrial. Okay, so, side note, when we weren't recording, I asked her, hey, are you going to talk about Jodi Arias? Her trial was a mistrial, mistrial, because one person didn't vote on the death sentence. So I was like, hey, are you going to talk about this? Granted, that was in Arizona. Maybe it differs from Texas, and our laws here are, if it's, a, if only one person, or if they can't get everyone to vote on it, it's... What did you just say? Um, it's a hung jury, hung jury. and it's no retrial. Like no sentence. retrial. Okay, so here in Texas, that's the way it is. But I guess yes. in Arizona, it's a mistrial. Ah. So that's why it's like super annoying that different states have different rules. It is because in Texas, all you have to do is make one person. You could even probably pick that one single jury member out. You know their background. You know yeah. whatever. And you could you could put doubt in their mind and get your client's sentence commuted to life and it's just well like weird if you're a smart criminal you would commit a crime in a state that you know is going to have a certain outcome yeah you would just move if you have this impulse just move to texas and maybe you could murder someone here because you want this is the certain way i want it or just go to a non-death penalty state or yeah Yeah. but you know what i mean yeah (laughs) yeah um interesting okay So then we move on to the appeals process. Um, A death sentence conviction results in an automatic direct appeal to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the highest criminal tribunal. So what's the point? 
automatically you which which <sighs> i guess what i meant was like what's the point of having a death sentence if you're allowed to immediately appeal and i agree because it's like almost negating weird... the entire trial right. process. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Because it's an automatic appeal. It's yeah. automatic. It it's does like... not matter if it's someone whose DNA was found on the body, right. who was found at the scene of the crime, they're sentenced to death, automatically appeals process has to be opened. Which isn't always a bad thing, but it's weird. It, it's very weird. Um, they can also appeal, um, the criminal can also appeal with a writ of habeas corpus, which we have spoken yeah. about, um, at both state and federal levels. Um, the Texas appeals process has been criticized as very, very lengthy. Clemency can also be granted, but only two people have ever been clan- uh, granted clemency. And what is clemency? Clemency is when you get your sentence commuted to either life, it gets your sentence either overturned and you are exonerated, or it gets your day of execution, basically. Mm-hmm. So it, it puts off your execution your day. Situation. Absolutely. Um, it goes through review and committees, which I could go into, but there's a lot of committees that it goes through. Okay, um, so. And then it ultimately goes to governor approval. One of the two was Henry Lee Lucas. God, that guy sucks so bad. Like, Which I, was, I don't know if to take him seriously or not. I, I know. I, I actually, I know this because <laughs> I listened to last podcast on the left. Uh-huh. I think it was a three parter about There's him. There's like three thousand victims that he claims. That like, he I claims. can't get through it. Like, There's at least fifteen, likely twenty or so in Texas. That, all in Texas, mostly in Texas. Actually. Oh, I thought he was like all across the country. He was all across the country, Texas. but there, there are at least twenty that can be proven to him. Dang. That 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 his statements, other statements, like it's it's proven to him. Um, his Gross. sentence was his clemency was granted um, by W. George W. Bush. <laughs> she literally texted me <laughs> W. the other day. D. What is it? D U B Y A. Yep. <laughs> And I, I automatically knew. Mm-hmm. I responded appropriately. It was good. So death row males are held in the Polunsky unit in West Livingston. Uh, females are held in the Mountain View unit in Gatesville. Um, death row inmates are kept completely separate from general population. Um, they are kept in single housing units. They All the death row inmates have separate eating times. You know, Eating That's where times our thirty thousand dollars is going, y'all. Absolutely, the eating or times, 20, the recreation, um, prison work programs have been shut down, but those are all done separately. Your execution date is set once all appeals are exhausted. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Please, I can't wait to hear about this. I'm so excited. Ugh, I wish I went oh, more in depth. Just kidding. I like I, I very much glazed over all of this no, no, because no. I was like, this is all like general information. Um, it is interesting though because it can't be set prior to ninety one days after the order is entered. So once you are convicted and the death sentence is given to you, uh-huh. they cannot set the date before three months have passed because that needs to give you time you know right, if, right. if it you takes are a appealing yeah, yeah absolutely so wait does it tell you how many appeals you get um and just it until just... it's all exhausted so you, you're rid of habeas corpus your first appeal automatically okay you can appeal to state you can appeal to federal you can also so it could be decades it could be it could be a very long time if, if you're pursuant if you have decent lawyers mm-hmm. 
it can, it can last a while. Dang. Um, that answers a lot of questions, honestly. Because oh, okay. okay. we're because we're like, how many times do people get to appeal, and mm-hmm. how many you know, blah 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 blah. Like, when does it does it happen when they're first you know, geez, Kane. All right, interrupt my statement. <laughs> Does it happen, you know, as soon as you're admitted? You know right. what I mean? Like, do you get a date where it's like, hey, you better appeal between this and this time or yes. blah, 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 or your time's up. So I yep. think that's great. You that's can pro, yeah, it, it, that is a good thing because no it gives you the opportunity to fight this and, you know. If you have the money. Right. If you're white. So the drugs used <laughs> to execute cost $86.08 per offender, but shortages of these particular drugs, um, make them now cost almost $1,300 per offender. What? Yes. There are certain drugs, I believe it's number two that I'm going to mention, that is, it's scarce now. And there are certain things they have to go by, certain things they have to use. They can, yes, omit, like maybe one, but the one that they can't omit is kind of hard to find now okay and probably kind of like the pharmaceutical companies that raise costs just because they can i'm sure it's kind of the same situation um so the three drugs that are used are uh, here we go sodium thiopental number one number two pancuronium bromide number three potassium chloride nice. um the sodium one it kind of sedates you a little bit but not enough where you don't feel pain um number two starts to shut down your internal organs number three basically finishes the job um the witnesses that are allowed other than the doctors um your chaplain your pastor so forth um you are allowed five relatives or friends and then there are five or six victim witnesses allowed depended depending on the amount of victims so it's six if you were multiple victim? victims, no. Multiple meaning two? Multiple meaning however many. No more than five or six. Wow, that's You pathetic. get one extra if you have multiple victims, which is crazy. Oh, okay, I get it. I thought you meant like per multiple victim. Right, right. Wow. Um, and Ew. only five members of the press are allowed, um, which is split between the groups. So split between the relatives and the friends and then the victims' relatives, relatives and the friends. Um, it's usually... Certain major publications, Houston Chronicle is one, you know, big publications like that. And they have to put in their request at least three days before the execution date. So (laughs) we go straight into and and honestly, if you want to read more about this, please do. I did not. There's so much information about it. So many laws, so many things. I didn't want to drag on forever. So please read up more about this because it was super enlightening. Don't think that she's skipping over anything just because of like her personal opinion or what have you. Like it's just I'm sure it's a fuck ton. So yeah. Um, So opposition to this um, includes the Texas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, the Texas Moratorium Network, the Campaign to End the Death Penalty, um, the Austin, Texas chapter, the Texas Death Penalty Abolition Movement. Texas Students Against Jesus the Death Christ. Penalty and DRIVE, which is an acronym that uses a lot of unnecessary words. So we'll DRIVE, which is male death row inmates from the Polunsky unit protesting terrible and inhumane conditions and capital punishment in and of itself. Um, these inmates use nonviolent protesting methods. They're, they're okay. just, you know, they're, they're trying bad. to make a difference. Yeah. You know? yeah. Okay, I respect that. 
the drug company Pfizer banned the use of their drugs for lethal injection. Injection. So okay. maybe that's one good thing they've done. Yeah. Out but of then the million it also terrible things they've boosts done. Boost it from what did you say like how much did you say to now 1300? Yes, that could be. Yeah. It, yeah. It's probably sister companies and people that are still connected to them and also opioid epidemic which is horrifying. I don't like sisters. Yeah. So, <laughs> Texas is the number one state in executions. And we'll Woo-hoo! go in more to oppositions in a moment, but we're going to talk about this for a moment. We're the number one state in executions. Why is this? One reason might be that the Texas appellate judges, or appellate, I'm sorry. Oh my God. The Texas appellate judges are elected officials. Texas has no public defender system. So quaint. Come again? Yeah. (laughs) Court-appointed lawyers with sometimes no capital crime experience are given to people who cannot afford this. So if you think about you yourself sitting there wherever you are listening to this, uh-huh. can you afford to fight no. a capital charge? So you get a shitty lawyer that yes. has no experience in the field that I am trying to defend myself on? Exactly. Excellent. There is no public defender system put in place to help people that are disenfranchised by the system that is bringing them to trial. This is just as good as there's no DNA protocol. Yeah. <laughs> Just as good. It disenfranchises the exact people it wants to disenfranchise. Absolutely. Yeah. Until the 1990s, jurors were not allowed to adequately consider mitigating evidence. Mitigating evidence is something like um, a, a, um, a defendant's prior mental health record or a defendant's prior upbringing you know if they were a part of the system and abused you know they were not allowed to putting in like a excuse or like a reason for or whatever yeah Yeah, just the backstory Mm -hmm. you know things that could have excuse is a bad word but yeah yes explanation yes the texas judicial system has features that streamline the process between conviction and execution so let's hear them basically that means because there is a certain amount of time that you have to wait the 91 days before a death death sentence date can be set forward that means your appeals the the lengthy appeals process is just a means to further prolong the, the the appeals from even getting anywhere. Right, right, right. So we get quicker death dates here in Texas. So your 91 days is up because your appeal process has taken too Longer, long. Yeah. Your appeal has not gone through. You get your death date. You get your death sentence. Even it's if you out. have like good evidence. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? If you don't have a good lawyer because Yikes. there's no public defenders. If you don't have the means the money. to pursue this you will likely get a quicker death date. Right now, Texas has a lower number of people on death row than California does, but we'll go into it a little bit later. I believe that I wrote this down. We execute at a quicker rate. So that's why we have less death row inmates. So it looks a little bit better. Yeah, we have less people, but we execute Mm -hmm. at the highest rate in the country. Just like how I said, just because like our population is big doesn't mean our crime is big. So same difference in a different direction. Yeah. It's just not okay. No. 
The uh, Fifth pfft. Circuit Court of Appeals is where all Texas death penalty um, appeals go to. Fifth, fifth Circuit? The Fifth okay. Circuit. Um, us and other states go there. Um, California and such, they go to the Ninth. The Fifth Circuit Court is very pro-death penalty. So this Why is, is where our jurisdiction lies. Um, they are all appointed officials. Mm. They lie in the Money. Air. Exactly. Money, so they're money. very pro de- death penalty. So they will kind of, from what I read, make it a little bit more lengthy to get your appeals process going. And so that way, death date, boom, bye, see ya. So the South has a tradition, and we all know this, the from the beginning of inception <laughs> of our country. I didn't hear what you said. I said the KKK? Yes. Okay, good. We have a tradition of dehumanizing certain mm. groups of people. Excellent. Racism. So, cool. That is, you might not believe it. You might not want to believe it. I talk about it all the time. Hannah talks about it all the time. It is deep-seated in our system, the dehumanizing of people. Whether um, you agree with it or not, it, it's happening. It's a thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can and agree that's where we can with kind of meet on the, the middle ground. And I'll go into, yes, I do. I just checked. I go into a little bit of the numbers. Um, mostly, though, it's people of color that are disenfranchised. And it's statistically more likely that a person of color will be convicted, will be arrested, will be. And mm-hmm. you cannot ignore that. And if you want to ignore that and live in your ignorant bliss, you are maybe one day going to fall prey to a system that wrongly convicts you of something because the system is the system. It's put in place to disenfranchise certain groups of people, whether it be poor, color, what have you. Gender. Gender, yes. It's, but it's, it's in place and it could affect you or someone you love. Yeah, I was just about to say that. It may not affect you literally, but someone... Your son, your child, yeah. your daughter, your whomever, your husband, your wife. So that's why the equality is so important because it's it might not be affecting you now, but they will take something from you later. I mean, not even believe in equality all you want. Will it change the system? Probably not. We have to fight and we have to use our Absolutely, voices. Absolutely. But don't be ignorant to the fact that it's happening. Yes. Is I guess our point is that just it does it might Just not realize touch you now, that it's happening. but it's touching your neighbor it's touching it's somebody yeah and <laughs> and they are no worse than you they are no better than no. you you are no better than them um in texas a death penalty case get ready costs an average of 2.3 million dollars stop and that is in part to the fact that it is immediately sent to a court of appeals after the conviction. Think it's, of all the money that not only the initial uh, trial goes through, oh, yeah. but the first the automatic the appeal trial? Yeah. Well, so is that on Okay, is that in totally encompassing everything or is that just like the prosecution side or the defendant side or is that just everything? Regardless everything. it sucks. That but, is everything. Yes. God. Absolutely nausea. This $2.3 million is three times the cost of single cell highest security level imprisonment of an inmate for 40 years. So basically a life sentence, high security, single cell. So to put someone in jail for 40 years costs as much as their trial, basically. Pretty much, I like would a, say. Like a high yeah. profile yep. one. Whatever a third of $2.3 is, 
That's what it costs. <laughs> and that's 40 years. That's a, that's a good chunk. Mm-hmm. Let's say you commit a crime when you're 20 and you get out after 40 years, you're 60. You might still commit a crime, but also life without parole happens. So that would be an average. But it's all. Um, These are all 20 recent statistics is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Gross. Mm-hmm. Um, these facts that I'm about to read, I got from the TCDP, the Texas Coalition Against the Death Penalty. Okay. I got them from their page. And honestly, reading through their page, reading through the facts stuff, they are, they, they are unbiased okay. in the facts that they present. They are presenting facts. They're not be, adding yeah. biased commentary there. So um i was very comfortable with using these facts and they updated it very recently because they included something i'm going to read second so a 2010 poll by the lake research partners of u.s voters show that 61 percent of voters would choose punishment other than death in 2018 in texas there has been one death sentence you know or one execution Mm -hmm. already given out which is nuts considering that we are only 30 days into this year (laughs) new death sentences have actually dropped by 80 percent since 1999 since 2013 70 percent of death sentences have been given to people of color half of this to black people and overall they are only 13 percent of our state population so 70% 70% of death sentences in Texas have been given to people of color. 50% of those were black people. And black people only constitute 13% of our state. That's so pathetic. that is a grossly right. improportionate right. figure. Pathetic meaning horrible. Yes. Sorry. Since 1973, 13 people in Texas were released from death row due to longful, wrongful co- conviction. Um, so this does not go against what Hannah was saying about exoneration. These people were on death row. Their convictions may have been overturned to get to that 50, 52, 57 number. If I'm like going against a figure you gave, no, let no, me no, know. No, sorry. Okay. My dog just like hit me out no, of yeah, my just, direction. I don't know where it got up and started nudging her. Uh, like, what was your question? Kane, Jesus Christ. Um, since 1973, my figures say 13 people in Texas were released from death row due to wrongful conviction. So 13 were exonerated from the death row. That doesn't mean... I don't have a death, an exact okay. death row statistic. I just have exonerations in general. So I know they okay. give death row statistics specifically, but I didn't specify them in what I copied and pasted good so some of the exonerations were not from death row 13 were um we are the 47th state in spending per capita on mental health facilities explain so out of the 50 states there are only three that are worse than us in giving money to federal or state mental health facilities to help rehabilitate people to help treat people to, to just mental health in general Worse we are just like we just don't we don't wow. yeah we we don't we, we we hardly give anything um compared to other states we are the 47th out of 50 we are That's also pathetic. the first in execution yeah if you don't see a correlation yeah. in that you need to rack your brain a little bit harder 30 percent of those incarcerated in texas have been in public he- mental health system 
have been public mental health system clients. So that's 30% of those incarcerated. When you think of we are the 47th state in the amount that we spend on that, those numbers should be higher. Those numbers should be, that service should be given to more people but we don't spend any money on it so it's not so 30 percent is a large amount for the amount the little amount of money that we spend we've talked about this so many times yeah we have yeah and and it's and when you do a true crime podcast and you read about crime all the time you read about the different circumstances around it and then you do research on exonerations and the death penalty and you start to see correlations and why certain cases went the way they did it just shows, again, how convoluted and unjust our system really is. And it's very scary. Man. And it is so harmful to Men's not talk too. about mental health. And the fact that our state does not spend any money on mental health. And I have a sibling that was affected by this and was affected by this lack in the system. It's just, it's it's really sad and it's something to think about and it's a conversation to open up. The fact that we have so many people incarcerated that have been in our public mental health system is a very scary thing because scary. you know that these people are not getting the correct help that they need. And um, if they were, they may not have committed these crimes. Right. Abs- 100% <laughs> I believe that. Like, if they were getting the correct help, you will always have that one or, one or few outliers Absolutely. that will no matter what do what they want to do mm-hmm. but more often than not if these people if it was a normal thing you go to your therapy you like whatever believe what you want like do what you want for your personal self but if these people had these this access to it mm-hmm. and it was such a normal thing we, we we could probably save a lot of lives but um anyways the insanity plea in oh, texas yeah. it's rarely used and when it is used, it's rarely successful. The mental health aspect mm-hmm. and proponent in our justice system needs severe uh, revamping. Reevaluation is the better word. Yes. Um, the argument segment of this, um, I first want to read a statement from a representative of the Texas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. Um, they are... I, I might be wrong in saying the largest, but I, I believe they, they are the largest proponent and they are the most active proponent, at least in our state, um, to protest the death penalty and try to make the change that they want to see. Um, I don't know if I should say her name. Um, I asked for the statement, um, so I do believe I am okay in saying her name. Um, Kristen from the T T C A D P um I asked her basically for a short answer of what her organization's stance on the death penalty was. Um I saw a bunch of stuff that gave me all the same thing, so I wanted to know what their personal reasons were for being a part of the cause that they support. Um she was super <clears throat> sweet she gave me a phenomenal answer so i will read it in full she said the members of tcadp object to the death penalty for a variety of reasons moral religious cost and etc fundamentally as an organ as an organization we object to the death penalty for these reasons 
It is arbitrarily and unfairly applied and administered. It is u- its use is isolated to a handful of jurisdictions in Texas, Texas and disproportionately imposed on people of color. It carries the irreversible and unconsciousable risk of error. It is unnecessary as Texas has the means to protect society and punish those who are truly guilty of heinous crimes without resorting to the ultimate punishment. It constitutes a flawed public policy. And then she ended that um, and said, I hope this is all you're looking for. So that is this one organization's general stance of why they are against the death penalty. I also found another, I'm going to find... Let's see. I'm going to look at the email I sent you, Hannah, just so I can cite this source directly because this is where I got this. So um, did you need to say something? Oh, no. I I was going to say if you're looking for it, I just wanted to say that I think that was a very well encompassing, not incredibly biased, Mm -hmm. but not incredibly, you know what I'm saying? Like not on either side of the fence. I well overall i may have discredited them a little bit just because of my personal beliefs Absolutely. if they had cited religious beliefs I, yeah, I read that down too. yeah like even if you are against what they believe you have to admit that they have good points right. and they they are exactly. using a factual basis yeah. to create their stance i forget we have to watch what we say because we're still in texas i know so um listverse.com had this really great article and i looked it up and i i, I pretty well agreed with the sources they gathered um the reputation of listverse.com as a whole um they basically have freelance artists that are paid for their contributions um so on this article the arguments against and for read side by side to each other of the death penalty in Mm. texas well in general actually i'm sorry this is in general in the united states so against it teaches the condemned nothing. Four, it is the ultimate warning. Against, it does not dissuade. Four, it provides closure for victims. Against, it's hypocritical. Four, it is all that would-be criminals fear. Against, it is always cruel. Four, it is not always cruel against prison is hell on earth for it is the best answer to murder i read through there in this list verse article which we will link um in the podcast notes this they they expound on each individual against four against four and both make really good points Honestly, absolutely, they do. Like, I'm absolutely like, I'm just like astonished right now. I am at the end of my study on this as much as I wanted to get into it. So, my end is where do I stand? And reading the arguments, reading what the TCADP rep sent me, um, reading all that I have today, where I stand is life without possibility of parole. And within that, solitary confinement for heinous criminals. 
I personally, and I will probably flip-flop as we research more criminals and more heinous crimes and more people that we just don't even want to waste, have wasting human oxygen. But for now, I've kind of leaned more towards being against the death penalty. It's too expensive. It is too final. There are too many people that could be exonerated. There are too many avenues. And then if you have a heinous criminal like that of Dahmer, like that of Bundy, like that of Kenneth McDuff, they should be kept in solitary. They should be kept in hell on earth conditions, not inhumane. We need to keep them the very at the very minimal alive. Not happy, not, you know, because I always say in yeah. jail, they could find happiness. They can find joy. They can, they can find, find read a book. That's what you said. Yeah. Solitary can confinement. Fuck you. No, you can't. You get slop. You, you get just enough to stay alive and you sit there by yourself. And yeah, we've heard of criminals that really enjoy solitary confinement. But for the most part, I think if they are, provi- um, what's it called? Deprived of any joy they could be felt. Mm-hmm. And we are saving a lot of money. And we are also saving some people that should not have gotten the death penalty, that should not be convicted in the first place of death. I think that's okay. And as if I was... And, I, and I'm wrong in saying this because I am not a victim of, um, you know, a family member of a murdered victim or someone who is... Well, someone's raped. But, you know, if you, to me, Everyone's knowing that they anyway. did not get the sweet release of death, right. doesn't matter what That's you, the whole point. yeah, what you believe. If you believe in hell and it. heaven, that's okay. But you have to look at, you You cannot look at the supposed afterlife. You right. have to look at here right and now. now. And their sweet release of death mm. would come swiftly and they don't give a shit, man. Like, so I, my stance is fuck the death penalty. I, I don't, I don't like it anymore. I think, what did I write? I wrote here, um, why aren't we educated? Yeah. Because... I don't think most people realize what goes into the cost and the funding and the resources and the the staff and the how often medicine. the justice system is wrong. Right. Yes, and also how much it takes to actually kill someone and how much it takes to what really goes into letting them survive through yeah. their sentencing or whatever, and like what happens through their appellate hearings and so on and so forth. I don't know. I just it's like. Learning how to do your taxes, learning how to write a fucking check. We need to learn what's going on in mm-hmm. our government, especially the criminal justice system, because we are so susceptible to this stuff. This has made me realize that a lot of my ideals might not be as well researched as I might think they are in my head. I might have heard an opinion years and years ago, and I formulated this loosely based opinion, and it's so in summation. That's very mature of you to say. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I, there, it, there's a great possibility that I am factually wrong about some of my beliefs. There are, there are a great few that I'm completely sure on because I have given the time mm-hmm. to research them because they're important to me. But all of your beliefs, if you are a voter, which I hope you are, voting registration for Texas is about to close. So register, Hannah, register. If you are voting okay, for now. something... 
and you're, you know, you can vote straight ticket, whatever you want to do. But I urge you to just at least research anything that you say that you firmly believe, any any bit of information, any bit of political stance, you know, because we vote on these, as we've learned today, we vote on these people who decide how death penalty is handled. How And so... If you think you have an opinion on something, just research it a little and make sure you're right in your opinion and you Mm -hmm. feel secure in that because I thought I was and I'm not and I completely changed my opinion and it's just, there's so much information out there and we're so lucky that we get to read it all and not enough people do. And same with me. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here bashing these people, trying to defend innocent people because this is just how I fucking feel. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm wrong or not. You know, I need to be a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say conservative, but a little more restrained in my opinion because it can come across wrong and it can come across abrasive and you're not going to win people over and you're not going to get the support of people for the right reasons Mm -hmm. with such a... Yeah. Opinion. Yeah. Cause that you, was a cat hissing sound, yeah. by the way. Just inform yourself. Don't don't podcast. let yourself fall prey to the false mm-hmm. Facebook ignorance articles that float and... around and ignorance. Just learn for yourself and you might change your opinion. And mm-hmm. if you were so fervent towards one direction and change your opinion because you educated yourself, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing wrong with that. I've done it a million times over in my life. I've and every up. time I do it, yeah, I, I feel like I grow and mm-hmm. I improve as a person. Yeah. And it's cool, man. It's all cool, dude. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, yes. thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we both hope you enjoy this episode. It's different from our format, and we'll go back to true crime next week with a. Uh, what are you stealing <clears throat> my line? No. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. I say we'll be back in two weeks. Okay, whatever. I'm skipping a little forward (laughs) and you can reiterate it. Hannah's going to cut this out. (laughs) Once again, don't forget to rate and review and subscribe and be sure. Did I type something wrong? No. 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 Um, Please check out our social media for photos on these topics. Links to our sources will be put in the show notes if y'all want more information, as always. And don't forget, I changed our website. So the first seven are there, but they're also on our iTunes feed. So they're pretty much everywhere. We'll be back. Ooh. We'll be back in two weeks with some Valentine's Day. Texas True Crime. Uh, (laughs) So again, we'll be back in two weeks with Valentine's Day, Texas True Crime. And if anyone's listening, happy Happy Halloween. Halloween. And Valentine's Day.